Hello and welcome to Banned Books Conversations, where radical readers discuss prohibited prose. I am your host, Tanya Todd. Banned books are works that have been removed from a library shelf or school curriculum. Over the course of Banned Books Week, this series will cover seven different books, the reasons they were banned, and the value in reading them. Today's book is the graphic memoir, Gender Queer by Maya Kobe. What we're doing isn't so much a book review, but a panel conversation about gender queer as a banned book. But before we get to that, let's meet today's radical readers. Rhea, please tell us a bit about yourself and what you do. Hello, thank you so much for having me on, Tony. I'm so excited to talk about banned books and gender queer specifically, and excited to talk to the other guests as well. So what's there to know about me? Uh, oof. Smash the patriarchy, release the dongs, uh, go listen to Fem on Film podcast, go listen to Pop Grillers. I do podcasts. And, uh, and yes, I'm thinking there's going to be some rants happening in this discussion. We, we are all here for the classic <laughs> Rio rants. <laughs> I'm going to try and not to. I'm going to try and sort of, I've got some notes and I've really thought some things out. But I think my brain might get away from me. My mouth, I guess, might get away from me during this discussion. <laughs> Now, we know what smash the patriarchy means, but for those who are not in the know, <laughs> explain release the dongs. I know, I keep on saying it and people are like, you don't just want men to walk down the street taking their trousers down, do you? No, that's definitely not what I want to do. Do not take any of your clothes off unless it's consensual, right? Uh, I, it's more about equality within the media that we consume, which, you know, interesting, there are some dongs in this. Um, and that's why women always have to be naked or have their bodies exposed or be sexualized and we don't get the equivalent with men. Penises are not offensive, they are just penises. If you're going to show a woman's body, let's show a man's body. Very well said. Gregory, tell us about yourself and what you do. I like to see man's bodies more frequently than women's. Um, <laughs> so, we'll that. Um, I'm There's a, a segue. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm a writer and a teacher. I teach in an MFA program uh, and I've designed some courses and I'm an avid reader. I consume a lot of media um, and I run writers workshops. So I work with a lot of writers and uh, my goal is, you know, helping people find voice on the page. So um, the whole band book topic is um, rantable to me um, because I'm, a, I'm, I'm so against censorship of any kind, uh, just so against it. Voices are important and stories are important and I'm already ranting. So, um, <laughs> and this is one of the many reasons that Gregory is my most treasured member, mentor and why I do so many of the things I do because he pushes me forward and encourages me to get out there and do things. So I appreciate you for being here, Gregory. Blake, I'm tell so us about yourself. Yeah, thanks. Hi all, um, I'm Blake, I'm, an under, I'm a student. Uh, my undergrad was psychosocial studies and I'm about to start an MA in psychodynamic counseling and psychotherapy. So I'm very interested in uh, thinking and talking about identity and belonging. So I'm really interested in this story. Um, and yeah, I came through Comics in Motion through Chris and Dave's VHS Strikes Back and I, I've talked with Rhea before um, on Indie Comics Spotlight um, about books like this, similar books about, um, yeah, like autobiographies and sexuality and identity. So I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. 
And I'm really glad to have you here. This is the first time I'm getting to meet you, but these conversations are an opportunity to meet new people and get different perspectives. So I'm very glad to have you here. Thank you. So Gregory, you touched on it a little bit. Why don't you tell us what prompted you to participate in the banned books conversations? Not this book specifically, but the conversations as a whole. Um, and I apologize, the, the dogs are part of my life. So we'll keep probably hearing <laughs> them throughout the conversation. Um, I, I am against censorship of any kind. Uh, I, I think um, books and media need to be available. Uh, we're doing great on the internet because there's all kinds of content that's available that wasn't when I was growing up. Um, and I think discouraging people from writing, discouraging people from sharing their stories in any way um, that shuts down someone's conversation and self journey, uh, for lack of a better term, it's a, I, I, just, I just think it's just wrong. So um, we need to hear many voices. We need to be open to a diversity of story and experience. Um, and and uh, I'll tell you, I'm a, I attended Columbia University for my undergrad um, as an adult. I went back in my 30s and, and I, I read the canon. It's what you do at university. Unfortunately, the canon is pretty much all old white guys, right? Dead white guys. Uh, and, and at the time I was there in the 90s, there were some professors trying to at least bring in other voices, but really the whole structure was old white guys, old straight white guys. Um, so for me, I, I never or very rarely saw myself on the pages of the stories I was reading. And when that happens, your voice gets shut down because you don't think there's a place for it. So because of that, um, as I've read more and learned more, um, and as I've become a teacher myself now, one of my goals is to make sure that as many voices that want to be heard get to be heard, at least on some level, even if it's only in the classroom um, and the writing that individuals are doing, whether it's published or not. Um, we're making some progress, but it's minuscule. It's, it's almost like lip service right now. Um, you know, it's like the trendy thing as opposed to doing it for, for the right reasons, the good reasons. Um, we need some of the trendy thing to get things started, but but it's still not enough. So so I'm just I, I'm just anti-censorship, and and I I don't I know everything I try and do is about presenting in my own writing, um, <clears throat> presenting gay characters who are just characters. Like they don't have to come out, they don't have to explain who they are, they don't have to apologize for being who they are. They're just characters who are gay and having an experience. And so that's one of my um, radical ways of trying to change the conversation as well. So. And remember even small, small movements like this can create ripples. So I, I know it doesn't feel like we're doing enough, but if we're doing something, there's a potential for more to happen. Absolutely, yeah. How about you, Blake? What what prompted you to participate? Uh, other than uh, being able to talk to you for uh, for the first <laughs> time. Um, I think some of my research interests uh, through my studies have been right-wing politics and you know conservative Christian fundamentalism, authoritarian, authoritarianism and uh, hegemony. Uh, critical theories like you know feminism and queer theory are very interesting and so this book was just like a kind of a perfect convergence of it what's in the book and what's been happening uh, after it was published uh, I previously read Fun Home on a recommendation from our friend Tony 
I loved it. I loved the kind of autobiographical story um, as a way to kind of lead us through these ideas. And so it was just a, a, another chance to talk about a kind of an autobiographical graphic novel in this way, politics and all these things that just, yeah, it's, it's what gets me going, really. How about you, Ria? I mean, a, a mixture of everything, but I'll say it a lot less eloquently than both uh, Gregory and Blake. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you said you're doing band book week immediately on it. I think books are hugely important. Obviously, I got to talk to you and I knew you'd have some interesting guests who I'd get to interact with as well. Um, I wanted to do every book, uh, <laughs> but sadly, <laughs> I don't have the time. Um, and I just think, I think reading books in general is so, I feel so strongly that books are for everybody. And I think that it's so important. And I think that it's an opportunity to hear so many different voices and experiences. And I completely identify with you, Gregory. I'm, I've been talking with a um, friend, of, friend of the pod, Ada, about doing uh, Dickinson, so the TV show. And I was talking to her about poetry and how in my, where I've, grew up in, in England, my education, all of our poets are old white men, usually to do with the war um, or Shakespeare. Shakespeare's great, but there are other poets, more contemporary poets, uh, and ones that aren't crusty old white men. Um, and it's the same, you know, my education was Dickens, uh, Dickens and Dickens, Charles Dickens. I hate Charles Dickens. Uh, I think Charles Dickens is a part of shit. Um, and I think there are many more interesting things that children and young people could be learning at school um sort of going off a bit now but um you know I think specifically with books and young people I think it's a fundamental right that children and young people should have access to books um and all types of books that show and tell you about all different things and all different voices I think that they I think that they facilitate a, a widening of your world they facilitate discussions and we shouldn't be scared of those there are things that I'm often not comfortable talking about one of the things I learned about in therapy is that you shouldn't be scared about uncomfortable conversations that's fine it's you know it's how you're doing those conversations and it's it's how you then think about all of this sort of stuff and I think that banning books is wrong and I think that it's just I'm not going to get into a rant yet because you've got more questions, but we'll talk about the <laughs> sort of people who I think ban books and why I think they are bad people. But books rule. There you go. <laughs> Can't say it better than that. Books rule. So regardless of whether you guys think that it's okay to censor books or ban them, Blake, have you ever been offended by a book? No. Um, only I feel like if it's been poorly written, then it offends me as a reader. <laughs> like it will make me angry, and I'll just stop reading it. It's similar to like movies, you know, if the if the writing is ridiculous, I just can't continue. Uh, but no, thinking back, I don't think I've ever been offended over content. So offended by poor quality, not <laughs> not yeah. by the subject matter. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. How about you, Ria? Uh, I, was I was trying to think really long and hard about if I've ever been offended by a book. It, 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 and the answer is no, but I'm often offended by the conversations around a book or 
So I was trying to think of, is there a book I'm offended by? And I'm not offended by the book. I'm offended about how the book has been interpreted. For example, Lolita, um, which is, I, I feel the conversation has got away from what the book is really about. And the book isn't about, it, it isn't about sexually assaulting young children. It's about many other things. It's not, and I, you know, in the conversation for Lolita, for example, has is moved away from that and about whether he is a hero, an anti-hero, and all of this sort of stuff. So it's the conversations around things that I get offended by, especially when things are taken out of context. I also do get offended by poorly written books. Funnily enough, I don't think offended was the right word, but when you but when you asked us if we're offended by a book. Also, what popped into my head is Fifty Shades of Grey. Now, I'm not offended by the book. Yeah, James, just go for it. Just absolutely go for it. I mean, your books are awful, but hey, well done you. But I am annoyed at the representation of somebody who has experienced abuse and how that is put on the page. And then what are the conversations around that? Oh, he's, you know, he's allowed, Christian Grey is allowed to be like that because he was abused. All of this, you know, so it's more the conversations around poorly written books that execute ideas poorly <laughs> I would say offend me and Gregory uh, no I've never been offended by a book it's okay, just that simple I mean I just, I just haven't been even the you know it's interesting even the the poorly written stuff it doesn't offend me but the, I'll, I tend to stop reading I just I'm not going to invest my time in something that that isn't engaging to me. Um, there's there's well written stuff that isn't engaging to me as well, and I sometimes stop reading. Um, I, I don't have a problem with things like Fifty Shades of Grey or whatever. Good on them. I agree with you, Ria. It's like okay, so you're having this experience that makes no sense to me, but 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 okay, good for you. You know what I mean? I I, I don't know. Maybe something I write will have that same experience, and people can react to it. I. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm not offended. I, I do, I agree. I get offended by some of the conversations um, that happen. Uh, I get offended by, you know, the Christian rights take on things and this utilizing of, I'm, I'm in America. And so it's that, it, it, it's real, we're really being abused. So many of us are being abused by this current political movement. And um, so that, like that to me is offensive. Um, and yet I also believe in the freedom of speech. So even though I'm offended by it, let's have the conversation. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what else can you do? But we're humans on a journey. And so the best we can do is have a conversation and, and then maybe an argument about it. And, you know, and, and that's another whole other conversation. So a book itself offending me. No, I'm, I'm occasionally shocked by things um, that are incredibly graphic or characters that are incredibly um, abusive or mean. Sometimes that's hard to read. It's shocking. Um, I'm currently for a class. I'm taking another. I'm, I'm on my third master's degree, and I'm I'm um, I'm reading Naked Lunch for one of my one of my courses by William Burroughs. And and you know some of it's a little shocking to me. The whole drug culture is something I'm not that familiar with. But yeah, I'm, but offended or bought, no, you know I, you read through it. So. You mentioned that you're in the U.S. as am I. Blake, where are you? Yeah, I'm in the U.K. I'm originally from New Zealand, but I've been in the U.K. for a long time. Yeah. And Ria? Yeah, I'm in the U.K. as well. So we don't have quite the same issues as you do in terms of banning books. It's interesting, though, thinking about what Gregory was saying, because we've seen it recently with the 
kind of mourning period of <sighs> the uh, Queen Elizabeth, um, all these kind of uh, patriots, you know, as you were, who are all about free speech and the kind of wokeness of uh, cancel culture and all this type of thing. And now you're getting people dragged off the street for calling uh, Prince Andrew uh, a nonce or having signs yeah. about uh, be- uh, abolish the, the monarchy and that type of thing. So, you know, they're not too bothered about it. You know, I mean, it's not a big surprise, is it? They're not too bothered about uh, cancelling people when it goes against uh, their narrative. So it's very fresh in our minds at the moment. Yes. Rina and I have been <laughs> yes. on Discord. Do you, like, do you know what? Funny enough, I thought, am I going to have a rant and Blake will be in it about the monarchy in this conversation because we're talking about banning stuff? And I was like, no, Rhea, don't do it. And look what <laughs> you've done. <laughs> just, just giving a bit of local perspective, that's all. Right, and, and, and that's why I asked. asked. I, I was in a group last night and I ranted about the, <laughs> abolishing the monarchy. You did. So. <laughs> Come on, tell us, tell us. <laughs> yeah, it's like, the, well, it's the perfect time to do it, right? End on a high note, 70 years, let's move on, right? And my rant was about, they, there was this image of all of, the, all, all of the royals in the succession line together. And it was all these white people who are gonna continue white supremacy. Anyway, so yeah, I had a bit of a rant about that. <laughs> But it has nothing it, to do with me. It's not my life at all. You know? Isn't it perverse, though, like we're talking about this abolishing the monarchy here, where in the States, like for all of their kind of, uh, it's all about freedom and independence, they really are kind of getting horny over having a king themselves, you know, a god emperor and Trump. For what it's worth, <laughs> our flags are at half staff right now. They are. The queen. They are. It's offensive to me. Why? Only because you Why know we, we threw off the cloak, right? So, anyway, <laughs> like, have you like people forgotten what American independence <laughs> was about? Right. Well, when, when you're not allowed to teach history in schools, no, yes, of things get forgotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. Which brings me to: Are there valid reasons to ban books? And we're going to start with Ria, even though I'm pretty sure I know your answer. <laughs> <laughs> of course, there's no. Freaking, try not to swear. Freaking reason to ban books. It's so dangerous, and you need to look at the people who are banning books. You know, the majority of banned books is driven by right wing white people. I would say they're extremists. Um, I I was doing some trying to do some research as well. That was quite last minute um, earlier today, and I read that uh, that Pen America found that many of the challenged books in, I think this is from last year, from 2021, uh, the books that have been challenged, that have been in schools and libraries and all sorts of that, they focus on communities of color, the history of racism in America, LGBTQI plus characters. And all you need to do is just hear that and see that statistic. And you know exactly the type of people who are banning books and why we need to fight against it. You. Know, <sighs> And banning things specifically, I mean, I I have got a bit of a rant about banning this, about banning genderqueer specifically, but banning books that talk about things like sexual content or exploring identity, it doesn't stop people and young people from, from being sexual, from exploring their identity. All it does is make them have to do, do it in, in darkness, basically, you know, if you if you read a book that's got a bit of sex in it, I can guarantee you your teenagers are doing more than what's in that book. Like we all know 
horny hormonal teenagers they're rutting away all over the place right the book doesn't make them do that but it might help them understand that it's okay to do that or how to do it safely or how to do it consensually or maybe actually that's not the kind of sexual pleasure that you want you think you're doing it because you have to but actually as we learn in this book it's it's so much more complex than that and it's it's just dangerous it's so dangerous I'm not reading any of my notes really should be because some of them are quite eloquent it's so dangerous (laughs) to ban and censor books and content and also I think if you're a parent and you're all like, oh, I don't want my kids reading any of this stuff in school because they might talk about sex. Go be a fucking parent. Go parent properly. You're a shit, lazy parent. And I can't handle that. I just think, who are you? You're such a selfish human being that you've brought somebody else into this world and you can't even be bothered to parent them properly. And you're too scared of books because you can't have a conversation with them about about history, about racism, about gender, about sexuality, about sex. Just, Not eloquent, (laughs) but you get, no, you should never- But I get your passion, yes. (laughs) And I did expect that most of the guests would have the same attitude about this, but it turns out that that has not been the case. And I also appreciate that because it's good for us to have the conversations about why some of my guests don't believe that all book banning is bad. And some of the situations that they brought up, one person brought up a book that made me stop and reconsider. I, in the end, I decided, yes, it's, I, I still don't think it's okay to ban books because who gets to determine that? And what, are, what do we use to determine that? I think it's a slippery slope once you start banning things. If I don't want to read it, I don't have to read it. And I don't think that we have the choice to determine what other people are allowed to read. That said, it was still a good conversation because it made me reaffirm why I believe what I believe. And it's not a book that I want to see on the shelves, but I don't think it's my right to remove it. And that's the thing, and it, it stops conversations. Exactly, you could have a conversation with somebody now saying, I don't agree with that book being on the shelf, but here are the reasons why you tell me why you think it should be that, you know, it, it, we, we, when we ban things, we stop having these conversations or these conversations aren't as fruitful or we can't learn from them or they're, like I said, done in darkness. And therefore it, it, it stunts us as a society, right? How about you, Blake? Do you think there are any valid reasons to ban books? No, not not ban, but I think it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I think any society you've got, and I mean this is with our kind of kind of it seems that we're all in this kind of critical theory realm where we are always dealing with the boundaries. Like where are the boundaries? And in a society there's always going to be boundaries. And so like there's like a limiting access perhaps in some way as a as an is an option um i i i don't want to like you said tonya i don't want to say that anyone can't read something but it makes me think of the parallels to the like pulling down statues the conversations around that so people might say people who are critical of 
pulling down statues and tossing them in the river. We won't say, um, oh, well, you're, if you remove them, you're just uh, censoring history. How are we going to know about history? You know, that kind of false flag kind of thing. But then, so what are you going to do? You're going to put like a little plaque on this slave owner in the square and that people who have to walk past the statue every day and be reminded of the atrocities, but never see this little thing. Like that's not, that's not going to work, is it? So and then not learn about it in school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so what some people might say, oh, well, don't destroy it. Put it in a museum of horrible people and you can go there and you like learn it. You can still see it. It still exists. Uh, and you can go there and see it for your kind of various reasons, but then you get your education about it. Um, I don't know what the answer is there, but, you know, I do know that you have rare books, special books, and you go to the library and you need to get access to them. There's lots of parallels, you know, like with gun control and that, like who, who has access to guns? I think that information should be available. Education should be available to everybody. Um, I just, I'm interested in the conversation and how that might work because it's easy for us to say like have a sweeping statement but then there's always going to be a little example and unfortunately i don't have one right now like one of your previous guests may have done but i'm always interested in the gray area so i don't know if anyone else has some ideas around that but one, one thing i would say though is um i think that in recent times, it's been really good to see things like content warnings, trigger warnings. Um, and when, you know, like in a public service announcement at the end of a show that has like uh, suicidal uh, ideation and they'll have like a helpline, you know, that, that type of thing. I think have have the information out there, but also have some like support around it. Like so help lead people to ways to, like okay you've given them this information now what can they do with it and as a society we should be more fostering like extra avenues to go and uh what 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 you do with it i like the idea of having a support system at the end of it like go here if you need assistance with these topics that we covered in this book or in this show i i like that idea what are your thoughts on this gregory I don't believe in banning any book ever for any reason. Um, and I believe we should ha all have access. I, I have a problem with parents saying they should get to decide what their kids read. Because if you're raised in a house with a set of beliefs that limit who you are as a human being, and they don't give you access to any other information, then you're fucked. And, and, and you spend your lifetime searching. And then you realize all along you weren't alone. Um, there are lots of young queer kids who commit suicide because they feel isolated and alone. And, uh, um, you know, one of the most gratifying moments I had was when one of those kids discovered my first book, which was 50 Fabulous Gay-Friendly Places to Live, which at the time was leading edge, but now we have the internet, so it's kind of useless. But, 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 but that I got, a, I got an email from, from a kid who said I didn't realize there were places where there were other people like me but I came across your book in a library um, and it gives me hope for my future. It was like a 15, 16 year old kid. Um, so, you know, feasibly in our current climate, that book of mine, because the word gay is right in the title, um, could very well be banned from a library or taken off a shelf or burned or whatever. And that kid might've committed suicide because he thought he was alone. 
not that my work is that powerful, but just the idea that, that realizing we're not alone is important. Um, my niece is another good example. She was reading well above grade level as a very young child, and she was very, very interested in adult topics. Um, you know, I, she came in as an incredibly old soul, I think. Uh, she wasn't bothered or embarrassed by anything, and her mother didn't quite know what to do with this because the librarians weren't, weren't letting her check out books because she was taking books that they didn't feel were appropriate for a girl her age. And, and to, be, to be fair, I mean, you know, before she'd hit puberty, she had read lots of stuff about sex and lots of books that contained content that parents might consider questionable. Um, I'm really glad that her mother finally, you know, she and I had a long conversation and took this, let her read whatever she's ready to read because obviously she's ready to read it. Just be ready to have a conversation with her when she has questions because she's going to have questions. Um, and, and so, you know, my niece is now an adult and having a life of her own, but, but she's a consumer of content and she's really smart. And, you know, it would have been very easy for her mother to say, well, wait till you're 13 or wait till you're 15 or wait till you're 16. And who knows what would have been lost there too on her journey just toward becoming a well-rounded, well-read adult, you know? Um, so I think the idea of banning books, I'm, I'm not for it. I mean, I don't even like, to be very honest, I don't even like rating systems on movies and stuff. I do like that they are doing the, the, those announcements and things at the end of books and in, ends of movies about suicide and about other issues and abuse and things like that for more information, um, guiding people toward resources. I really love that. But I, I just think we know when we're ready. We know when we're in search of information as people and the children are going to be fine. None of this has anything to do with the children. This is about adults being uncomfortable with topics. It has nothing to do with the children. It's never been about the children. The children are fine. They're going to be fine. Humans are resilient. We continue forward on our journey. We've existed for a lot longer than the Christian fundamentalists believe we've been on the planet. So, so I, think, I think everything's going to be fine. The children are going to be fine. It's the adults who have to get over their shit. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't believe in banning books. I, I, you know, I, just, I just don't believe it. I don't think there's ever a good reason, ever, ever. If you don't like the content, have a conversation about it. If you don't like the content, don't read the book. I mean, it's it's not that big of a deal, right? But if you don't like the content, don't tell me I can't read the book, right? That That's so arrogant. It's so incredibly arrogant that you expect the world to conform to you, right? And, and, and that, so that just goes against everything I believe as a human being. Part of that because I didn't have access to information as a kid. Right. I mean, the Internet didn't exist when I was growing up. So, um, you know, porn is a challenge without the Internet. Let me tell you, um, <laughs> learning, about learning about being different, learning about who we are as people. It's very different today. Um, but and, and there's then there's content, which I really love. I, I love what the Brooklyn Museum is doing. Um, I believe it's still going on. They're making um, all banned books available um, for free for anyone up to the age of I think 21 or 22. Uh, and, and there's a great meme by Stephen King, right? Um, any book that has been banned is something you should rush to read. That's a shortening, shortened version of that. So anyway, and I have one other thought. I'm going to go back to something Blake said about tearing down monuments, which isn't exactly related to this, but it is related to this, this cancel culture idea. Um, and, and I tell you, I, I've been to Inquisition museums. I've been to torture museums. Um, 
I think I don't think that the the statue should be torn down and thrown in the river exactly. Um, I do think history shouldn't be lost and forgotten, but putting them in a museum somewhere that's curated, I think is the right way to go. Um, right? I think we need to look at why the Southerners who lost the Civil War are still being commemorated with statues. That's a conversation worth having. So a museum is the place to do that, right? With educated people having interesting conversations. So sorry, that's I'm, I'm a little There's right. There's topic. To right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I just want to agree with uh, echo what Gregory and Rhea are saying about from the parenting aspect. That yeah, I, I've kind of had that thought as well. Is that uh, as a as a parent to small children, like I've, my eldest is three, and one of my favorite things right now is just tackling these curveballs of questions that like they just kind of completely take me by surprise what he's picked up in in our like daily life, and and then trying to figure out the like what I believe to be the age appropriate. Um, and not, not his age but like his understanding you know his con the context and the references that he knows um, the explanation for his questions it's fantastic and so exactly as as the others have said uh, anyone who kind of wants to ban books wants to ban conversations and the typical thing is that every conservative accusation uh, is a confession the, the the problems they see in these books and the fears that they have uh, that uh, their children are going to suffer from these books. It's actually the, the relationship that's causing the children to suffer because of the lack of this connection and of these conversations. Gregory, I think you brought up a really interesting point that was just escaping me. You know, I've had the thought that parents have the right to choose what content is available to their children, but I was making the assumption that, you know, most parents are generally reasonable, but there are hmm. definitely situations where they are stifling their children and preventing them from being themselves. And there's a whole group of people that maybe are not in my circle, so I'm not thinking about them, but excellent point that, you know, yeah. thank you for expanding my mind yet again. Think about the people whose parents have such a stronghold on them that they can't even, they aren't permitted their own thoughts. And how are they going right. to find those resources and someone, some material to connect them to who they are? This is not an excuse, but this is like some context. I think um, with the religious right, there's that, um, there's that element, that philosophy of um, of preaching and converting, isn't there? Where, because going back to something that Gregory was saying about how it's not enough to, uh, if you don't like it, don't read it. Like they just can't, in mm. their brain, they can't handle that because if, if you, and especially if you're their children, right? Like if you are not following the path to God, then you're just kind of like uh, pushing back the second coming of christ so they really feel compelled to get into your ship and make sure that you are marching in line and yeah it's a, it's a tragedy really i've i've got family i you know i grew up in in that environment and i have relations who are just that's you know god is coming god is coming and it's they're always they are always kind of looking 
like I'm, I'm kind of like the black sheep as it were right so my, my grandmother will always be like oh someday you know i hope you'll come back to christ and this type of thing and bless her i love her but you know like <laughs> we that's like a cyclical thing and you just feel like their brains just turn to mush in a way because there is no way to break out of that cycle and to get new information and banning books uh, is a surefire way to not get new information absolutely yeah i i am um, you know my response to a lot of that i like everybody i mean i have i have zealots in my family too um it's part of the american way of life uh but it, but but uh but you know i just don't believe those myths i don't believe those myths i don't believe them so i need some other content to help me journey through life you know and if you want to see a um, fundamentalist Christians head explode, call what they believe a myth, and it really bothers them. Um, and I and I think that's one of the things we can do with books is challenge ideas and expand. Um, and and banning books stops that. I mean, it just stops that expansion. So, yeah. so Gregory, we're going to start with you for this one. You're the educator here. What, in general, can be learned from reading a book? with content that some people find offensive or worthy of banning? You can learn how to, I don't know, fix an engine. You can, you can learn how to make a stake. Um, you can learn how to think for yourself. You can learn how to question everything. Um, you can see yourself on pages that, that you've never seen yourself on a page before. You can explore the idea of abuse in a way that doesn't make sense to someone who's been abused or groomed to be abused. Um, you can you can find joy and love and sexuality. You can find I don't know the world. You can find any possibility on the pages. And and what's so interesting is there there are lots of books that are that are banned that one group thinks are good and another group <laughs> thinks are bad on in all directions. Do you know what I mean? This isn't, you know, we keep bringing up the fundamentalist right because they're in the news right now. I mean, that's what- They are not America. the only ones trying to ban books at all. They are not. They are not the only ones who try to ban books. So um, there are lots of educators who decide this is where the line is. There are there are lots of people that, that in little tiny subtle ways um, keep other people from consuming content. And, and uh, so I think I think we can we can we can learn anything in books just in general, just in general. And books open the world to us. We can travel. We can we can travel through people's minds. We can go to 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 fantasy worlds and sci-fi sci worlds. And you know, you read Jules Verne today, and you're like, oh my gosh, we have all these things that he imagined in those books. That's our everyday life and beyond. Anything can happen in books. So um, what can we learn from a banned book? We can learn the same things we can learn from a non-banned book. We, we, we can open our brains to possibility. Um, but, but, but I also think when we, when we set the limit of banning a book, we're teaching other people that it's okay to ban books in the future. And that's even a scarier outcome. Um, so, so by taking that away uh, as, a, as a possibility, as a thing, um, we also change um, the power of language in books, I think. About you, Blake. Yeah, I love that. I think, yeah, information is just is, is just uh, nutrition. Um, another aspect uh, is how we relate to one another. And there's this, there's a great uh, big. Do you know the channel, the YouTube channel, Big Think? 
there's a great video there by the psychiatrist uh, Dr. Gail Saltz, and she reveals that through brain studies, there seems to be structural differences in the brains of liberals and conservatives, you know, like if you believe in a binary, like a political binary like that, and where they can predict that uh, 71% certainty, whether you're a liberal or conservative, depending on uh, how your brain structure is activated or triggered by different inputs, like novel information or emotionally charged information. Um, and the point of the video is to advise that when talking to someone from across the aisle, as it were, uh, you're more likely to reach them if you can frame your argument through a stimuli that triggers those specific parts of the brain uh, that dictate their belief systems and, and the processing systems. So like, for example, you might, as a liberal, you might want to frame your talking points through things like security and loyalty, whereas a, conserv a conservative talking point could be conveyed through uh, some new peer reviewed research, you know, like novel information that helps the person that you're trying to um, have a have a conversation with um, to, to to get them to like engage. And uh, this is like my long winded way of saying uh, that in attempting to understand other people and their experiences and what motivates them, uh, we're not just learning how to better relate to them or the wider community, but we also have the opportunity to learn more about ourselves rather than isolating ourselves. And so to ban something because you don't agree with it, like stifles your ability to relate to the people that you desperately want to reach out to. And Maria. Yeah, I mean, it's not fair going after you two, is it, for this question. Um, I think it's, you, you two have just said amazing things. In terms of, what can be learned from reading a book that's that's banned for me it's about hearing other people's voices and learning from other people's experiences uh, I think I talked about this with um Alison Shelton actually uh in in the where I'm from poem but one of my friends so I'm I'm feminist I well I, I, I'm a feminist I believe in quality for everybody all of that sort of stuff. And one of my friends turned around to me and said, your voice is important, but sometimes your voice needs to be quiet. And ever since she said that to me, because I, I, I think intersectionality is, is hugely important. Everything, ever since she said that to me, it's made me realize how important it is for me to seek out people who have had a different life to me, who are uh, a different race, who, who, uh, you know, who are trans, all, all of the things, you, you know, all of the stuff, you know, I'm, I'm full on equality and go and, and go and seek out those voices and listen to them and learn from them, be uncomfortable with some of the things they're telling me about my own privilege, my own voice, where I can learn, where I can become a better person, where I can just move to the goddamn side and listen to them, just listen. And, and I think that's why it's so important. Even if you don't agree with content in something, people deserve to have a voice. And so it, you just, by finding it, it's up to you whether you're offended or not. You get to choose whether you're offended. So you know what, just don't. Like Gregor like said, just don't read it. Don't engage with it. Let somebody else, let somebody, you know, let a, a, a bi man who you know who is not fully 
is not full body abled, read a book about somebody like them. That I just I don't understand why you would go out of your way to say other people cannot read this content just because it makes you uncomfortable. Or just because if you're, you know, and I, and I agree, you know, it's easy to pick on fundamentalist Christian right and say it's them doing all this, but it's not. It, and that's not. terrifying as well. That's that's such a terrifying concept once you start getting your head around it, that it is people that you potentially know who'd go, oh, you're not allowed to see this content. And I think people that some of those conservative right-wing Christians learned that when they, in Texas, when they said, we want all challenge books removed. Well, guess what was on that list? The Bible. Yeah. Which means that there are people who are not Christian adding books to the banned books list. So it, I don't Bible want to vilify stories, everybody. <laughs> they just, are, just, I don't want to vilify myths and legends because everyone has the potential to be guilty of this. Yeah, of course, of course. And you know, if you don't like that shit, like I'm sorry, it happens. Don't go to the museum. Like reading, reading genderqueer. There, you know, one of the reasons uh, it's not deemed suitable is because there is uh, very few, by the way, sexual scenes. Go to a bloody museum and see how sexy all of the people were in, in history. They're all banging each other, they're all getting all their getting their vaginas and vulvas and knobs out. Like, just so none of your kids can go to a museum. Don't go to a zoo then, because I've been to zoos loads and I've seen monkeys wanking and I've seen a giant elephant dick. So you know, just don't let you don't expose yourself or anybody in your life to any of these things. Just don't bother doing it. Like I just I can't. I've got a bit off topic <laughs> talking about elephant people. That's okay. I know but, who I invited you, on the but, show. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's sort of like if something this just if that offends you, then you shouldn't just go you shouldn't go out in the world and you shouldn't see anything because it's all around you, by the way. I mean, you had children, again talking about parents specifically, so you know that you had sex, right? And that's how you produced your child that you're now making into a terrible human being like so you're just so, never going to say to them we gave birth to you like who the, who are you i don't even know where my point is now i'm just annoyed and angry and i want to be more <laughs> i want to be more succinct and say intelligent things so i'm going to stop no I, I i i know what you're saying and it's like it's kind of gross actually the the irony where these people like I say, I follow a lot of the right-wing stuff and like QAnon and things like that, how they have this thing about sex trafficking, sex trafficking and that, but like the this thing about like banning the books, banning information and like not not having these conversations, it's very possessive, isn't it? It's like you're too scared to let your child out into the larger world systems of social conditioning. You want to kind of keep them within this family constellation, your fiefdom you know of philosophy mm. and it's it's very possessive and so yeah just the the parallels between those things um yeah i, I find interesting yeah well you know humans are the the only creatures it seems that really learn from storytelling um there are other creatures who learn from mimicking but but we learn from hearing stories um so the idea of stopping what you get to hear changes your learning right and there are organizations and groups who believe people should be kept in their box. Hmm. I mean, it's just that they don't want 
right? That idea, and I'm with you, I said it. So that idea of, if you don't want me to, to do this, you don't need to read the book, let me have my opportunity. But their whole point is they don't want anyone to have that opportunity because they want everyone to live in their box right. um, because otherwise they're wrong. And, and the idea that they could be absolutely wrong in their beliefs is terrifying, I think. So, I mean, there, there's so much psychology like balled up into this idea of consuming content and, and uh, who gets to have permission, who gets to give permission of what gets consumed, who's in power. Um, and in America, especially, it is, you know, this white supremacist idea that that's who's in power and they can't give it up. So they have to take out everyone who challenges that. Um, every book, every idea that challenges white supremacy. That's really what, what we're dealing with here um, in an incredibly obvious way um, with the Trump administration and the MAGA people. So it isn't just Christian, it's it's a whole other belief system that's being forced or attempting to be forced upon a civilization. So it's a, it's extreme, yeah. So let's get into today's band book, which happens to not fall into many boxes. Like it just doesn't want to fit in the box in any situation here. Gender Queer, Gender Queer was published in 2019 as a graphic memoir. And that's graphic as in of or relating to pictorial arts, not sexually explicit. It's a memoir written and illustrated using the same general format found in a graphic novel. Both the words and the pictures are crucial to telling the story. I mentioned the difference because it's been banned, challenged, and restricted for LGBTQIA plus content and because it was considered to have sexually explicit images. Many opposed its content, labeling the material as obscene or pornographic. <laughs> Genderqueer was listed as one of the most challenged books in 2021. That same year when censorship efforts in the US soared, Genderqueer landed the title of most banned book in the country. According to the New York Times, this controversy put the author, Maya Kobabe, at the center of a nationwide battle over which books belong in schools. And who gets to make that decision? So I want to start with Rhea here. Tell me, how did you first hear about this book and what prompted you to read it? I first heard about Genderqueer by, well, via our wonderful friend, Tony Farina who read it and reviewed it for uh, Indie Comics Spotlight. And he, uh, <laughs> again, the usually very eloquent Tony Freeman went down in an anger spiral um, about prejudiced dickheads, which was just wonderful to hear. Um, and anything Tony tells me to read, I'm pretty much like, oh yeah, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read that because you're Tony. Um, and then just hearing him talking about it, I was just like, this is something I need to read. It's it's so interesting. And I love that it's, well, I love that it's a personal story. I hate that this wonderful, beautiful story has become the center of this argument when it's somebody trying to share their incredible and difficult experience like that, I find really upsetting. Um, but yeah, Tony, thank you, Tony. It's all because of Tony. <laughs> He's great for that. <laughs> How about you, Blake? 
yeah, uh, quite the same, actually. I heard Tony's uh, impassioned review of it, and I was, I was almost in tears. He was just, he was mm. really, really speaking from the heart, uh, really personal stories. Um, and uh, again, anything he recommends, I, I was going to check out. After that, I saw it popping up in my newsfeed, re, you know, regarding the bannings. Um, and I was a fan of Fun Home, like I said before, autobiographical stories, grappling with identity and belonging, which, you know, is obviously uh, a big part of my, my training and my introspection. Um, uh, Blankets was the first indie comic spotlight I did with Tony, actually, and that covers Craig Thompson's coming of age and coming to terms with his religion and spirituality. So similar similar vibes, you know, um, very personal stories uh, told in a way to kind of explain to their loved ones a bit about what was going on in their life, their journey. Um, and so I was interested to read it. And when you published the list, I took this as my opportunity. And Gregory? Um, I first heard of Genderqueer, I'd spent a while now, shortly after it came out. I mean, as soon as the conversation about banning um, banning the book from school libraries. That as soon as that argument started, um, and then when it showed up again on the librarian list, uh, I can't remember the award it was given, um, the Alex Award, I think. Um, I actually bought it at that point because I wanted to support the author and um, and the publisher. Um, so I made a point of, of buying it. Uh, but I but then I opened it up and. You know me, right? So it's, it was, it's a graphic novel. And I don't particularly care for graphic novels. Um, just in general, I, they give me a little headache when I read them. I, I don't know why, but they do. Um, we, we've done some graphic novels in our, in our writer-reader group, and I just, I just don't care for them. I never liked comic books as a kid either. Um, and, and so I could, I could admit that out loud, I guess, even though I'm talking to Tanya, who, who loves comics and graphic novels, but, um, uh, but she knows, so it's not a surprise to her. So I didn't, I didn't actually read the book. Uh, and, and when the list came around and you invited me to participate in your series, my first choice was something else. Um, and uh, Genderqueer was number two. And she said, well, I'd love to have you on Genderqueer. And so I read the book, um, but I hadn't read it until right before we did the panel in the last uh, two weeks or so. Uh, so, you know, I'm happy to be supportive of things, even when I don't really care for them. Um, you know, I mean, that's part of being in the community, right? Where we support each other, right? We don't always agree or like or whatever, but I mean, I still bought the book and, and, uh, and I think I checked it out of the library at one point too, because it's good for books to check them out of the library. So I checked it out of the library um, and I kept it for a few days and then I returned it, but I didn't actually read it. So um, shh, don't tell the librarian, but anyway, <laughs> so um, uh, books get returned without being read all the time, I'm sure. But anyway, so that was how, and, and so, and when Tanya, you know, I love Tanya, and when she said, well, I'd rather have you on this panel, I said, okay, you know, I'm there. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do, I'll do for you, so. And I feel like I've grown and expanded my mind because of it, so, and I've met some lovely people, so that's all good, right? When I gave you the list, I did not know that it was a graphic memoir. Like, I didn't know the style. I hadn't opened it yet. I hadn't looked at it, and it was on your list of ones you would consider. And from, from my part, I wanted to have queer representation on this particular panel. So I asked you to be a part of this one. Then when I opened it, it was, Gregory's on this one. I wonder if he knows. <laughs> yeah, I knew, yeah, I knew. And I, put, and I put it on my list because it was a queer novel. I, you know, I mean, I, a queer, not a novel, a memoir, but, but the queer band book. 
Um, right, because I'm, you know, I'm gay and the gay guy should be on the on the gay panel. You know what I mean? So not, not that bad. I can't be on it's other just, panels. But, it's know. not that I just didn't have another gay guest on this particular no, no, one. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm queer. Okay, so right, I just right, 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 right. <laughs> so that explains how Gregory chose this book. Rhea, why don't you tell us why you selected this one? When I when I give you the list, why did you choose gender queer? Well, the list came around, so I wanted to read them all and talk about them all. Um, <laughs> and I went, well, I don't have enough time. <laughs> so I was making a choice between this or Harry Potter. Um, one of the reasons I want to talk about Harry Potter is I would say I used to identify myself as a Harry Potter fan, but I am not a fan of the turf who created Harry Potter and I wanted to have a discussion about that and I wanted to have quite an in-depth and difficult discussion about that just so everybody knows trans women are women and I will not have a debate about it I know not in this room but I mean in general and I would just like to say it it's something I'm very very passionate about um and Me too. yes good yeah I mean I presumed that would be the case but I I could feel myself getting wound up about it and that's not what I'm here to talk about. Um, but I also knew that one of the other guests you were having would be wanting to talk about Harry Potter. And I thought, you know what, let's just let them go, <laughs> let them have it. And as I said, genderqueer was on my reading list uh, after Tony talked about it. I'd read about it and I really wanted to read it. I have very limited time. So it's like, hey, this will force me to read it. I can say, I can't go and do this thing or watch this thing or do the laundry because I've got to focus on this because it's important to me and I want to talk about it. So you allowed me to have space to read the story and I'm so, I, I love this book, which we'll talk about in a bit. So I'm very, very pleased that this was my choice. Well, for what it's worth, we do have queer representation on the Harry Potter conversation as well. Good. Good. <laughs> How about you, Blake? Why did you choose this particular book from the list? Yeah, I, I've probably answered this a little bit in my previous uh, discussion where I, I really liked, yeah, the autobiographical graphic novels about uh, identity and belonging, um, fun home and blankets, things like that. Uh, I, I really love the, the critical theory aspect of my psychosocial studies degree. Um, kind of learning about hegemony, power, um, yeah, patriarchy, heteropatriarchy, all that type of thing, queer theory. Um, one of the one of my one of my lecturers uh, who's queer told me a very interesting thing uh, to think of queer. She said, um, "Think of queer as a verb," and that really kind of changed a, a lot of the way that I thought about things because it gave it gave me a kind of uh, language for this criti like criticism of society. And I feel like once you buy into the ideas around social constructionism and things like that, these binaries or these labels kind of just become really abstract and obtuse. And so while, while I like live a very uh, cisgendered heteronormative life, I, I see myself as queer in ways that I like to queer the boundaries of 
um, norms, societal norms. So stories like this are really interesting because I love the life. I love looking at the life on the boundaries and trying to blur those boundaries and just be more inclusive in general. So talking to as many people as possible from as many different backgrounds as possible, which is why I'd kind of dive into these panels, I guess, because it's just such a diverse group of people with interests and impassioned um, speeches. So um, I definitely wanted to be here for this. So thanks for having me. So we'll start with you for the next question, which is what was your reader reaction to this? And did you learn anything? Yeah, well, like Gregory, I, I'm not a big comics book reader. Like I, I'm kind of adjacent to the comics in motion verse, although I've thrust myself in because it's such a lovely group of people. Um, but the nature of the story, I think these life stories, being a being someone who's inter interested in therapy and um, also anthropology, ethnography, I just love real people's stories. And so it hooked me in straight away. Um, and like those other stories I've mentioned before, it's just like a, a small story. It's just, it's not these big bombastic epic adventures that you're kind of used to in comic books. Although I know it's much more than that. Uh, it really reeled me into like the inner struggles of this person and coming of age stories, you know, but told from the queer perspective, not these typical, you know, stuff that we see in popular media. It really, really, I was just fascinated by the kind of inner dialogue, the inner conflict between, you know, the the the, the journey that um, he makes through through exploring your yeah, sexuality and gender, and how those things um, move and shifted over time, and how they tried to find ways to uh, communicate it to people, and still struggle to communicate it to people. So it was really, really moving. How about you, Gregory? Sorry, the dogs are going a little nuts over the neighbors. Um, so uh, I, I, I did enjoy the story. And for a lot of the same reasons that Blake just talked about, I, you know, I like the human journey. I, I like seeing the journey of others. I read a lot of memoir, uh, just in general. Um, I, I'm not really a fan of the autobiography or the, of biographies, but I like autobiographies and memoirs. Um, I read them a lot. I like to see how people have the journey and people like right now I'm studying film. So I've been doing all of these autobiographies, a lot of them on audio, um, on audible of screenwriters and people who've made famous movies telling their story because I'm curious about how they got their movies made and what journey they took to get there. Um, so I feel the same way. And I mean, my whole adult life really, because I didn't gain access to books until I really became an adult. But um, my whole adult life has been about um, coming out stories and finding people like me and finding people sort of like me, but different uh, and and hearing the, the queer journey and the queer story. And so um, so this story resonated with me because in a strong way, because it's a it's a coming out story, but it's a very different type of coming out story than the traditional gay male coming out, which I've read a lot of because, right, white gay males coming out, that's what the primarily, what the canon in gay literature is, right? So, so it's nice to read a story that is slightly different and that explains um, gender nonconformity 
in a new way to me um, and that explored pronouns in a new way to me. Um, and not only talking about pronouns, but talking about the emotional stakes of pronouns, the emotional stakes of, um, of her period, the emotional stakes of, and I apologize, I used the wrong pronoun for Mia, but, 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 that, but that idea, right, the, the emotional stakes of Mia's journey, right? I, I just, to me, that was, that, that was wonderful um, to take the journey with and to learn something about a different person's way of life and experience that now I think makes me a better queer person because I have a better understanding of someone else in my community. And, and that to me is the price of admission. It's worth it. It's worth the price of admission. It's worth what the graphic real, novel, the, worth the graphic part of it. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Right. Well, you do what you have to do, right? So, um, <laughs> so I got through, I'm a teacher. I ask people to do things all the time so they don't want to do. So I did the thing that made me a little uncomfortable. I'm okay with that. I can do it. I can handle it. Um, so, but, but yeah, along the way, on the story part, it was engaging for me. Um, even though at times there were images that were hard for me to read because of her design. But, but that's, right, that's my challenge with graphic novels. So um, that's not about, about this piece. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, it was impactful for me. How about you, Ria? This is your time to shine, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're all unsurprised. I've mentioned it about five times already that I loved it. I thought my story is incredible. I think it's very rare that we get to see a story like this so plainly told, so raw. Um, and I found some bits difficult to read because there are things that he talks about that are really important to people that I know. And I feel like I need to have better conversations with them around things like pronouns when I slip up. Um, because, you know, we're all victims of our patriarchal gender norm society. Um, and how my reaction to people is often very accepting like yep yeah, cool that's what you that's what you say you are you know this not even what you say this is who you are it's not what you say it's who you are because it's not a choice um without maybe sometimes asking some questions that they maybe want me to ask like you know what is your journey how did you get here I'm, you know, I'm sure it's great for my people, my people um, who, you know, are part of LGBTQ plus, LGBTQI plus community that I'm accepting, but actually they've got their own stories to tell and I should be asking them about that if they're comfortable talking about it. And I should, I should be opening my mind so I can be their ally better. Um, and I think that's the wonderful thing about this. It makes you think it's such a simple story. It's some of my favorite type of storytelling. It's the everyday, it's the mundane, but how Maya is having to react to that, her emotion, apologies, misgendered, is emotional states in response to things like that. And that's so important. And we often forget that in big bombastic coming out stories or gender identity stories. On a personal note, the older I've gotten, the less I feel 
that I fit into the straight hetero relationship norm. And I like that this book allowed me to think about that some more for me personally. Um, I think I grew up very much, you know, you're either gay or straight and that's it. In, and like that's I'm cool, about to get a whatever. toaster. <laughs> you know, like whatever, like, and that's cool. But like, kind of, it's just, it is just very. They're the two channels you get to go down, right? And the older I've got, the more I've educated myself, the more I've listened, the more I've met new people. I've realised it's complex. It's more complex like that. And in fact, for me personally, it's more complex than that as well. And this book allows you to think about those things whilst telling a really personal story. And it's also, I just found it, I love graphic novels, I love comic books. I can often find them too difficult to read. And I love that the way this story is presented, the ears story is presented simply for you. It's, it's clear, simple imagery that's telling a story. I mean, that, as it, that makes it sound like a three-year-old's drawn it and stuff like that. But I mean, as in the imagery isn't, complex when it doesn't need to be and it's it it enhances the words and it allows you to stop and think you know there's there's an image where there's the snake shedding their skin and that could just be words or it could just be an image but the two together make you think in a slightly different way about what he's trying to say and I think that's really clever and I love that he talks about the impact he can have on other people around them. And again, that's, you know, somebody who absolutely feels like they're in a minority can change other people's lives. And I think that's really important. I think that sums up this book. I think this book can absolutely change people's lives who read it. We've been talking a bit about slipping up on pronouns. Before reading this book, were you were all of you aware of specific pronouns and how to use them? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I was. I, th this is a point where I've been thinking about kind of discussing this. Is that just to reveal that I I have to admit I find them difficult. Um, mm -hmm. I and that uh, like just because they're not a part of our regular language and so it feels uh awkward to me but it's a really interesting learning opportunity for me because my or because I can I can transpose it to people who might want to ban books like this right who don't want to have these conversations my and my awkwardness my uncomfortable feelings shouldn't impinge on someone's identity and just as uh Gregory's drawn on like that he finds sometimes reading the comics uncomfortable that doesn't stop him from absorbing the story and I think that's really important it links to something that Rhea was just saying for me the the combination of the images and and the story is really interesting because I would think that like from someone who was either closeted or didn't know that they were but were working through that journey a lot there's so much kind of control and um needed and the the finer details and so one of the things that i feel like the illustrations provides is showing how much of these little details 
people focus on and you could link that then to pronouns that small details where we feel like ah whatever like it makes a big difference to the people and so it's worth um you know working working towards to quote brandon mead who does it hurt if you do it who does it hurt if you don't mm-hmm. yeah beautiful yeah the the thing i got about pronouns well, i've been dealing with it as an educator for a while now and um it's 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 so much easier when in, when it's an online classroom uh, when things are written because I have notes about my students and I so I can refer to them and and I can edit my response to them and right there's a moment but when you're standing in front of a classroom it's a little different because you have to you're you're having these moments and then you have to try and remember and and it it's it I feel so conscious of it and also so uncomfortable that I'm going to screw up um, right because because I'm I want everyone to feel included and welcome and part of the community, whatever that community happens to be, even if it's just a community in a classroom. And, and, and I know there are other people in the room that are uncomfortable with they there or a air or, or whatever the choice has been. Um, so there's that too. And when you have multiple pronoun choices within the classroom, that makes it difficult too, but then it, it becomes like a name. And, and, and so I'm going through all of this now because one of the things I did get out of this, this memoir was at the end when, she's, when, when he's talking about the pronoun idea that it's okay to make a mistake and apologize. Um, we get lost sometimes and then we, we do something wrong and then we're afraid to apologize because we're human and whatever. So I love that sort of nudge that it's okay to make a mistake. Right? We forget people's names when we meet them all the time, that sort of thing, and we're afraid to ask their name again because we feel like, but so the idea of asking again or apologizing, um, you know, letting them know that you're trying, um, I think is, a, is was helpful to me to hear um, on, a, on a different level. So yeah, the pronoun thing is, it's a, and we're not, I mean, it's just beginning. So we have a lot of it coming as we figure something out. I mean, and, and that's one of the things that you talked about was the idea that um, the search for the perfect pronoun. And each person has to, it's like choosing your name. I mean, each person has to decide who they are and what they want, how, do, how they want to be acknowledged on the planet. So, yeah. I think once we have more representation in media that we can see and hear versus just reading, where it becomes something that our, our brain can hear because just seeing it on the page, okay, you see it, but maybe you're not really sure. How do you say it? Like, how do you pronounce it? And it's hard to make it something that is part of your vocabulary if you don't know how to fit it into the sentence properly. To me, it feels like another language and you just have to practice until that, vo that piece of vocabulary is a part of your vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I worked with somebody in my previous job who went by the, uh, went by E and then changed it to God, I really hope I don't pitch to, to, to the, is it A? I've, I've probably done it wrong and I so apologise. Um, because they felt that the E was too close to he and people would constantly mistake it for the he. And, you know, mm -hmm. I was like, great, all right. I'll just, I'll just do it to the A. I've forgotten. It was, it was like a year ago and my brain is mush, um, which is terrible. <laughs> and I promise I will go after this and remind <laughs> myself what the replacement word is. Um, but I, you know, it, what did it do to me? It didn't, didn't affect me. I was like, great, it's just, 
as if you it said that you changed your name from Jack to Helen. Like it doesn't. And and if I got it wrong, it's like yeah, it's, it's not that anymore. Good, make me feel uncomfortable. Not uncomfortable because they were amazing. They were amazing, but it's like and it didn't make me uncomfortable. But you know, I also think it's amazing that I had the confidence to be able to call people out and I think that's also as as we learn in this book that's really difficult those scenes I found so uncomfortable to read just because I felt so terrible for for Maya I was just like this you know all you want to do is be acknowledged by how you are and how you acknowledge yourself and the bravery of coming out and trying to correct people and I fear of just they, saying it, of exposing yourself. Of, I should have said something, but I didn't. Yeah, I found those incredibly powerful. Those, those. I want to say scenes, but they're not scenes because because they're from my real life. But um, yeah, I found those incredible and important about us making the effort, listening, maybe taking a pause before we go in and start going, "Hey, ladies," to people, just because they somebody presents as a as a typical woman it doesn't mean that's how they want to be you know guys we use guys right all the time we go yep, hey guys that all the time group, yeah for, for you know a group of of people who are all across uh you know the gender spectrum and it's sort of like why why are we using gendered language when we don't need to i played with that in one of my classrooms that um i refuse to use guys and and every time someone used guys, I would change it to gals. And it made the men incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, and that was great fun. I mean, it was just great fun to, to put them on the spot like that. And the women were like, finally, someone's talking about this. Uh, and, you know, in the end, we still use guys all the time. It's because it doesn't really mean that anymore. It's taken on some other language, y'all or whatever I, you know, it is, but, but yeah. Yeah, we, the gendered language, right? And, and, and at least English, we're not working with, with, uh, mm. with, right. I don't have the right word for that, for the laws and laws and lays, right. So, um, right. Gendered language that is right. where every word has a gender. Uh, yeah. Right? yeah. I'm really learning French right now. And it's like, wow, ev everything is specific to the gender. It, right. so much is dependent upon that. <laughs> and language is just such a crucial part of knowledge and understanding isn't it I, I don't know the exact uh languages but I, I remember learning about this in my course where we have different gendered languages and you try and uh cross-reference an object so um a key the, the lecturer used a key as an example and so in a masculine language if someone was to try and describe a key it would be strong and uh useful and uh from a feminine language someone might describe a key as feminine and dainty so mm. it's just the way that we use our language is just so so important so for people to kind of look at this as a trivial it's 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 not that at all and and going back to that gender reversal of the kind of collective that gregory was talking about before when i when i was kind of thinking about pronouns and i was thinking of the difficulty around it and i thought like i had seen any all somewhere and i kind of thought like i wouldn't be 
if I would be like an or because it doesn't bother me. Like I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't offend me if someone called me he, she, er, or whatever. But then I had this kind of check of my privilege where it's like, yeah, but because of the life I lead, even though I feel like I transcend labels and binaries and things like that, I still live a very privileged life. I don't have the body dysphoria or very severe kind of identity crises um so for me yeah that's fine but for other people like if they pick this thing that they feel like really represents them then yeah all, all the power to them and i appreciate you mentioning that that you are acknowledging your privilege i also think ju just look at the conversation that we've just had based on this based on this book yeah this is the book that has people in an uproar we're in all different parts of the world. We have all different backgrounds and we're all contributing to a situation. And none of us have had this particular story in our lives. Like none of us can identify with precisely this story. Yep. Yet critics of this memoir, it's fueling book burning fires by posting images and, sorry, to me, it's, it's upsetting to me the way people are posting images from it, it's triggering people to think of this as something different than what it is. And I wanna know what, what do you guys think about the social media assaults on this particular book? And we'll start with Gregory for this. Um, well, my, 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 my bottom reaction is, you know, every year it's a different book that's at the core of, of the anger that's being used as the tool. Two boys kissing for a while. Um, Jean Sabule's uh, um, I Kissed a Girl. That was a number of years ago, but that was at the center of, of some, some destruction, right? They were burning CDs, uh, which is silly to me too. Uh, but, 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 but it's always something. So it's gonna be whatever it is. This is that, that use of the media. Um, and the one thing that, that living in the box people do very well is utilize the media to inform and fuel and keep all the talking points together for the group of people. Because if you talk to anybody about anything related to this, you get the exact same six talking points back from them. It, it's just how it works. So uh, of course they're gonna use, I mean, there are some images in here that are a little difficult to take. Um, and that's the point. Right, they should be a little bit shocking and a little bit hard because this is reality and this is what what this character, what this woman is, what this sorry, what Maya is dealing with. So sorry, I don't have all the right words. Um, and it's not. But we're working on it, memory. right? We're working on it. Working on it, right? Working on it, and 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 thinking more about it because of the book. But but the the use of media. I mean, it's one of the things social media is really good at. It's good at rallying people. So a few graphic images taken out of context are excellent because they fuel the people and make the point. They get their six talking points. They go to their school board meetings and they have a meltdown over the six talking points in those couple of images. It's it, it, it's it's marketing. It's just marketing. Them. Well, but yeah, but but it's marketing. And if you're focused um, on marketing, then you're not actually offended by the material. You are working an agenda. Right. No, they're they're working an agenda. Absolutely. It's it's totally an agenda. I don't I don't think the majority of people who are standing at school board meetings or arguing on talk radio have even read the book. They haven't. The majority of them haven't. They've gotten their their marching orders 
from the corporation, from Fox News, and it's what they're doing. I mean, right? So it's hard to take it seriously, but but I'm like preaching to the choir, like like the people who get it, get it, and the people who aren't interested aren't listening to our conversation. They're having a different conversation, right? We're we all live in our little bubbles, and the algorithm makes sure that our, our bubbles are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Sorry, that's a whole other banning book idea, but but right, the algorithms feed us really well, and we get the information related to what we search for, and we don't see all the rest of it anymore at all. There is no such thing as unbiased anymore. So. I don't, I, I'm sorry, I, I've wandered off and haven't actually answered your question. I mean, you know, I don't think you're going to change that machine. You're not going to change that machine. You're not going to shut down Fox News and the box. It's just not going to happen. So it's about counter programming as opposed to arguing that. Do you know what I mean? And there's no good leftist trying to put us in our box with our six talking points to go and have our marching orders because we're more into independent thought. So, so it's really hard to fight that. It's just really, really hard to fight that. And that's why I think the Republicans over the past 30 years have begun, become in America have become so successful because they can conform to the box, whether they believe it or not. I don't think a lot of people believe in this. I think it's the marching orders. It's what you do, right, to get your judges. Because that's in, in the end, I think what it's really all about. But I'm way off topic now. So, <laughs> but it's all connected, think, isn't it? How's that for our little rant there, Ria? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's great. Let's pass the mic to Ria. I think what you're saying about the marching orders is is really true. I, John Ronson did his recent series "Things Fell Apart," and one of the episodes on that he talks about. I think it's called banned books or dirty dirty banned books or something like that and it's that exact sort of thing that it's that they take one thing out of context and use that to structure their whole argument and there's no nuance there's no wider discussion it's this is it it's exactly i'm just repeating what you said terrible i'm being a, a privileged white man um <laughs> just repeat what you said making it my own idea and um yeah. and uh that yeah and that, that's it and so because it doesn't allow any further conversation or context, the decision makers, they see a bunch of people seeing the same, same thing over and over again. They go, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough resources. You know, we, let's take it off the shelves now and we'll go and investigate it. And then it comes back on the shelf six months to a year later. Well, the damage is already done. Or if I'm going to try and be positive about it, maybe it is the Streisand effect which some, sometimes I like to be positive and not just angry about things, that maybe that these terrible people banning stuff and talking about it on social media means that there's at least a handful of people will see this and go, I need to go and seek this out. This sounds like something that I can relate to and it makes that handful of people feel like their place in the world is deserved that they are not alone and at sometimes I know everybody shocking I need to see the positives <laughs> mm -hmm. and I need to and I need to think that like, you know especially with genderqueer I think it's really important that Maya is protected and the publishers did a lot of that but I also think it's important that we focus on some of the positive stuff and maybe 
these terrible people burning it and waving it around out of context is making other people have more knowledge of it and seek it out. Don't shatter, don't shatter the bit of positivity I have, please. I'm looking at you all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with you. I mean, I, you know, I said it earlier when I, when this book first turned up on the, the ban list, the first thing I did is went and bought the book. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If a candidate's having a problem, the first thing I do is write a check because I am a privileged white guy with some money in the bank. So, so I write a check, right? Because, because yeah. it's the best I can do sometimes. You know what I yeah. mean? And I'm happy to do it if I if I believe in the cause. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I think amplification has some really positive results. Um, you know, when you I, may, I, as you were talking, I I kept hearing, I kept thinking about Ginsburg and Howell. I kept thinking about the books that that weren't allowed into the country because they attempted to ban them. And then the court cases that came out of that, um, oh gosh, I'm, and I'm drawing a blank on that stand-up comic from the six, 50s and 60s, Lenny Bruce, right? The American comic um, who was arrested over and over and over and um, because he was he was considered obscene when all he was doing was having a conversation um, that, the, that the establishment didn't like. So yeah, absolutely. I think I think there is there is a positive response to a lot of what happens. Every single book that ends up on those banned lists ends up being a bestseller. You know, right. I mean, I would love for something of mine to be banned. I mean, absolutely. I'm seriously right. Let, let me, let's have some controversy over something. Like if I could just write a book like that hits it and gets banned, you know, I'm going to sell a million copies. And that's you know, so see, there is positive that comes out of it. There are a lot of people who. It. And there are a lot of librarians who are who are taking up the, the 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 true fight for us, right? We're just having a conversation on the internet, but there are these librarians who are being getting death threats in America, who are going through all kinds of really hard things in their communities because they believe the books belong on the shelves. All of these banned books belong on the shelves. They belong in an accessible place. So I mean, there are people literally on the front line. Um, Nora Roberts just wrote a check to that library yeah. in, um, in in Michigan, right, where, where queer, queer gender is right at the center of the conversation, where they, they defunded the library. I mean, they defunded their library over a book. It's just... <laughs> right. right. But people are stepping forward and having conversations about it because that happened. So there is all this positive, like, this is still going on. Oh, we need to do something moment, right? So I agree with you. I think, I think there's always good that comes out of stuff. Um, if we can step back far enough to see it, you know. Do you have anything to add to that, Blake? Yeah, no, I agree to, with with that. In that, um, sometimes we just need a shake up out of like a bourgeoisie kind of apathy to actually do something. <laughs> um, I, I one of the things that strikes me about about the kind of complaints about this though and i mean these the their arguments are always so paper thin but one of the things is about explicit images and i really had to rack my brain like thinking back like how like explicit is this and i've been scrolling just like whizzing through as we've been talking and from what i could see there's like a, a kiss with like a bat like a bare back uh maya undresses in the doctor's office which is crazy if you were going to call that explicit because it's very clinical and it really is a important point in her story about how she feel how how he feels about her body um it's not sexual at all um 
and the red and and then the and then a blowjob scene which is you know if you've seen any kind of explicit imagery it's the least like sexual for a good reason uh blowjob kind of depiction uh, and so it just strikes me as this crazy paradox where they want to they want to ban this because of like explicit imagery but they're happy for their kids younger than this book was targeted for to read like superhero comics where you've got buxom uh females with light up their ass crack and like dudes with the big pecs and guns and bulging cod pieces they're happy for all that to go, like come about uh and not that i have a problem with those either but you know it's these like uh it's the balance you know don't mock the lycra or the no, exactly no exactly <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm here for it but it's it's balanced right, and- gender though i mean that's the point that that the, those characters with the bulging cod pieces and the bosoms that are overflowing their 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 costuming right are all straight people exactly so, they're, exactly they're actually not and, well <laughs> not Right, that's changing. That is changing. But su- superficially to them, it right. is because they're not going to delve into it. That yeah, big. if you don't but look that's the, beyond but that's, the image. <laughs> and that's the other thing that strikes me about this is actually, uh, and it goes back to uh, what Gregory was talking about, about uh, uh, kind of traditional coming of age stories, you know, like from a, a gay or lesbian perspective, is that, um, at least from what I've seen, a lot of it. Um, is sexuality is a big expression of that you know like their, their sex life and how uh the, the the fears and the liberation and that that comes through that in this coming of age story it's actually hinged around asexuality and that mm-hmm. was really interesting to me yes. and i think i think that the explicit images is a red herring and that really what terrifies them is the non-binary aspect and asexuality because in their and they're kind of uh, the Protestant work ethic kind of setup. They need the nuclear family, and yeah. no more so than a post-pandemic with the kind of slow revolution of work. Um, the attitudes around work. They really need the boomers. Really need the young guns to get out there and work again. So they, asexuality, non-binary identities, all terrify them. And, right. and it isn't it isn't the identities I don't think that terrify them like I think it's empathy toward people that are like this the idea right. that you can be that you have empathy for others because one of the things that's come out of having empathy in the United States is that gay marriage is legal now um, and and that that scares the hell out of them that they're losing the battle um, because people have empathy for others that aren't like them that are non-conforming and I think that's a lot of it the images too, one of the things, I think one of the, the, the images, what it, but they're not using it as a graphic, but it is, is the menstruation moment too. Um, it makes, makes old straight white guys incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. It's like body incredibly. horror in that context. Yeah. 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 We bleed, yeah. just, you know, yeah, it yeah, happens. Yeah. get over yeah. it. It's, but you yeah. don't and actually have to deal with it. We do. Yeah. So fuck off. There should be more conversation about it. Absolutely. <laughs> People should be comfortable. Yeah. And it's not blue, like the adverts, it's red. <laughs> sometimes a light red, sometimes a dark red, sometimes pillar box red, you know, all the different shades. Just, you know, it's fine, it's not blue. Yeah. In these yeah. moments, I think back to a, a TV commercial in New Zealand when I was a kid, and there's a woman sitting at a table, and she says, she starts off with, 
uh, all right, here's something for the boys. And in a little picture in picture in the corner, it uh, brings up a racing car driving along. And she says, now, ladies, thrush. And then goes on to talk about a product. And it's just, yeah, this thing about the blue liquid and that, that's very... This, this menstruation uh, narrative here is really interesting, and, but, but because it terrifies her as well. And of course, mm-hmm. of course, you know, it's, a, it's just a conversation that needs to be had. So Blake, tell us why you think it's important to keep gender queer available to the public. What do you hope people will gain from reading it? Uh, well, yeah, we've, we've talked about aspects of this um, already, just, I would just say that it's just humanizing and just as Gregory was saying just now it's about empathy you know uh it breathes life into a dehuman like it what's usually like a dehumanizing talking point in the culture wars of populist politics uh it's like a guide come autobiography you know so we we get, we get pulled in by the life story but it actually is a guide not just for people who might be going through this journey themselves but people who want to or could support those people uh, to give them the language and the ideas and yeah as Gregory says the empathy um, beyond these kind of buzzwords and the propaganda and the memes that we see in social media um, it's a human story and that's what we um, that's what we consume and that's what we need to consume more of how about you Rhi I know you've definitely covered some of this but you know here's your last rant for the day <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep it short. Um, I mean, why why wouldn't you make it available? Just just why I think as a society we need to look at ourselves um, and think about what we're doing and why we're doing things. And I think I just it, it, it you you both are complete like empathy just empathy, just understand or just not even empathy just let somebody else have a voice. You don't, as, as Greg was talking about, you don't have to engage with it. Just don't engage with it, but let somebody tell a story. It's none of your goddamn business. Just let somebody tell a story. And that is what this book does. An important one, a moving one. And even without all of the gender stuff, this would be a great story. Maya's life and how Maya's had to navigate it makes it an even better story a story that we can learn from and a story we can empathize with but just just shut up just let somebody tell their story jog on (laughs) gregory um well i i I, nothing should be banned i i think books should be about the thing i i love actually about this moment in time is if you go to amazon you get whatever you want more or less. Um, There are lots of online booksellers where books are available, but libraries are important because um, not everyone is privileged enough to have an Amazon account and a credit card. And so books need to be available and libraries are a resource uh, on so many levels, Uh, books, education, computer access, um, community space, clean bathrooms. There's all kinds of things that libraries all over the country um, provide to their communities beyond just the books on the shelf. I mean, the books are important, um, but but they provide all kinds of other access. And and you know, we're we're incredibly so many of us are incredibly privileged um, to have 
money and an Amazon account, and not everybody has that. Um, no, and a lot of kids, of course, don't have any of that. So books need to be on the library shelves for people who need information, who are searching for information. Um, and, and, and so they have to be there. And we have to keep supporting libraries and librarians. Um, I love librarians. They're some of my favorite people on the planet. And, and, uh, and we have to support that. And, and the books should be there. You know, and these people who can't take it should go fuck off. I mean, really, I just, right, it's just enough, enough, you know, enough. Your book is 2000 years old, let it go. Let's move on a little bit, you know, there are more ideas. So, yeah, the sun Any, came out as I said that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any final notes, Gregory, on why people should read this specific book? Um. I, again, I, I like the word empathy. I think it's important. I'm teaching a, a, a class right now on emotional intelligence, and and I, and I think I think empathy is important. I think understanding others is important. I think exposing ourselves to new information, exposing ourselves to people who are not the same as us, all of that's important. And this book does that. And and there are lots of other books that do this as well. So I think staying open to content. I, I agree with Stephen King. If a book, someone's trying to ban a book, then it should be read. We should all read it. It's important. There's a reason. There's a message in it that someone doesn't want us to know, so we should know it. Well, that is it for today's Banned Books conversation. Thank you all for your thoughtful input. I mean, I know you didn't think so, Rhea, but I thought you handled sharing your opinions with grace. I appreciate having all three of you on here. You brought inter interesting perspectives. And I think it was a fantastic group for this particular book. Before we wrap up, Blake, tell people where they can find you and support your work. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Blake Biles. That's B-L-A-K-E-B-Y-L-E-S. Um, and on YouTube, just search for the same name on there. I've got some video essays on there uh, from QAnon and the Evangelical uh, intersection there and agoraphobia as an urban condition i'm also uh on several podcasts uh in comics in motion and the comics spotlight uh is one of them that we've mentioned several times and uh yeah thanks how about you ria yeah come and find me on twitter at ria carrigan and at film on film pod and I'm on Comics in Motion, I'm a pop gorilla. And if there's anything you can do for me after listening to this, it's not directly related, but I just wanna say that there are more than 14 million people in the UK who are currently living in poverty. Many of them are struggling to eat. We have over 1,400 food banks. So please just go out, donate to your food bank, go do your local shop and chuck some stuff in, donate them some money. In 2020, I think it was, there was a record 1.9 million food supplies put out to people. We are struggling. We are in a cost of living crisis. I'm on my soapbox. Um, please, please go and donate. They're really important to me. Please go and do it. Don't follow me. Don't follow me. Don't listen to anything else. Just go do that, please, please. People are starving, children are starving. Go feed them. And send, send me the link. I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, mwah. I love you. It's, I'm banging on about it a lot at the moment, so this won't be the only place when I, I'll be like, I'm not going to wrap it up. I'm just going to talk about how we are terrible. <laughs> no, talk about how we can help. 
That's what you need yes, to do. That's, there's that positive spin yes. that you wanted, right? Thank <laughs> you. You love it. Gregory, call where to can action, people girl. find you? Yes. You always have to make a call to action, right? Um, I do work so, in comms uh, and marketing, so. Uh... <laughs> um, my website is gregoryacompass.com. K-O-M-P-E-S. Uh, and you can join my newsletter there. I send out a newsletter once a month with a little fiction in it and uh, whatever events I'm doing. I'm all over social media um, at Gregory A. Compass. So uh, follow me wherever you're comfortable doing that. Thank you to my lovely panelists. Thank you to the audience. If you enjoyed this conversation, please like, comment, and share. Thank you for listening. And more importantly, thank you for reading.